May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. What an amazing film, right? I mean, here's this guy, Rudy, who uh, on the Notre Dame football team, like he works just as hard as anybody, but he never sees the field until one day. And then one day when he finally gets on the field, like he makes a huge difference for his team. And it kind of reminds me of the guy that we're going to look at in the Bible today. His name is Elisha. Um, now, most people have not, don't really know that much about Elisha, but when he gets on the field, he makes a pretty big difference for his team. Now, most people have heard of the prophet Elijah, because Elijah is famous for, you know, uh, a contest that he set up with the prophets of Baal to decide whose God really was real. But most people don't really know that much about his successor, the prophet Elisha. But did you know this, that God does more miracles through the prophet Elisha than he does through any other person in the entire Bible except Jesus? Yeah, it's true. But most people can't name any miracle that Elisha did. But yet, Elisha, like Rudy, made a big difference for his team, the nation of Israel. And one of the key differences Elisha makes for, his, for the people of Israel is that he made them aware of the spiritual world around them and how real it is and how it affects day-to-day life. Now, most of the people in Elisha's day, they believed in angels and demons, okay? But it just doesn't seem like many of them thought that those kinds of spiritual beings actually made much impact in their day-to-day living. And the truth is, you know, growing up as a kid, like, I kind of thought the same thing. I mean, you know, I went to school, did homework, played sports, had a part-time job, hung out with my friends. I never really gave much thought to how, you know, the activity of angels and demons in the spiritual realm really had much impact on my day-to-day life. Until one day. One day, during my junior year at Baylor. And what happened that day changed the way I viewed everything. Uh, My fraternity at Baylor, we were in charge of putting on a university-wide carnival every single year. Um, And the carnival that year was over and we were kind of, we were cleaning up and breaking down. And um, about 20 of my fraternity brothers and I, we were loading some bleachers onto a flatbed truck to you know, take them you know, back over where we borrowed them from. Um, and look, and we, like we're in college, like we're not very safety conscious, okay? Like, so we're not strapping these things down on the trailer. And so in order to you know, make sure the bleachers are way down, like, like we just sat on them. And like, so we're just riding around campus, you know? And, um, and it was very dangerous, because these things could have you know, like tumped over any time we took a turn. But um, anyway, and so we're, we're riding on these bleachers, and I'm not kidding you, we're riding, and, and I feel like something brush right past me. And I'm telling you, it, it was just as real as if I was in a crowded mall and someone brushed right in front of me. And it, 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 it brushed right past me and was heading, you know, to, you know, to my right, which at that, where I was facing was towards the east side of campus. And I'm telling you, when, when, it, when it brushed past me, like it was cold, but it was really strange. It was strong, but yet it wasn't evil. And immediately I thought to myself, I just felt the angel of death brush by me. Now, 
I need to stop right there because you right now need to get all those Hollywood images out of your head, okay? All that stuff that just came up in your mind, like you need to just count all of that, all that stuff you've ever seen in Hollywood, none of that's true. Look, I saw Ghostbusters and liked it, okay? But it ain't real, okay? So you need to put all that out of your head. But I'm telling you, this was real. I, I mean, I'm, and I don't know how I knew what it was. I'm just telling you that I knew. Well, that kind of, it kind of freaked me out. It kind of made me panic a little bit. So like I, you know, tell my, my, my fraternity brothers, I'm like, hey guys, 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 hey look, make sure you got a firm grip on these bleachers. And by the way, if this thing starts to tump over, like make sure you've thought about how you're going to bail so that these bleachers don't fall over and crush you. And they're looking at me like, shut up, man. Like, what are you doing? So, but anyway, we, we get the bleachers delivered back where they go and like nothing happens. Well, 30 minutes later, I'm over on the east side of campus taking down some wooden signs and just behind me, my pledge brother falls out of the bed of a pickup truck, hits his head on the pavement and 30 minutes later is pronounced dead at the hospital. I mean, it was, it was horrible, and it was incredibly traumatic for all of us. It was a horrible day. And look, here's the thing. People can say what they want to, but that presence was headed in the exact direction where that accident happened that day. And here's the thing. Ever since that day, I don't easily discount the role of angels and demons and spiritual beings in our day-to-day lives. And, I, and here's the thing, I'm willing to bet most of us don't really think about like angels and demons very much in our daily comings and goings. And I, look, that's pretty normal, okay? I mean, we all have a lot going on. We got a lot that, you know, keeps our attention, our focus. And so like, we just don't really think about that very much. But here's the thing, don't readily discount the role that the spiritual world has in how, your, how the things in your physical world, you know, go. Because I'm telling you, it's a big deal. And those kinds of things play a much bigger role in our lives. And that's what we're going to learn today through the prophet Elisha, this miraculous second guy. So, um, I want to look at this incredible story about Elisha. Now, let me give you a little background to this story so that when we read it, the story will make sense. The king of Israel and the king of Aram are at war, okay? Now, Aram is modern-day Syria, so it's located just north of Israel. And so they're at war, and the king of Aram is trying to assassinate the king of Israel. And so every... Unfortunately, though, every time the king of Aram, you know, through his intel, finds out where the king of Israel is going, and he goes ahead of him, and he's, you know, sets a trap, or he's ready to assassinate him, the king of Israel, just before he gets there, he changes direction and goes somewhere else. Well, after this happens, like four or five times, the king of Aram realizes that he has a mole. Okay, not, not like a mole, but like, like, he's got a, he's like he has a mole in his organization, like he's got an intelligence leak in his organization, okay? So... Uh, so he's got a mole. And look, uh, look, Hollywood is not the first to come up with these kinds of scenarios. Okay, like all this stuff happens in the Bible. Okay, you ought to read the Bible. It's amazing what's in there. So 
He realizes he has a mole in his organization, so he calls all of his generals together and his advisors, and he says, hey, look, guys, we've got an intel leak. We've got to figure out what's going on so we can stop this because the king of Israel just keeps getting away. And so uh, his trusted advisors look at him and say, no, 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 king, like that's not what's going on. What's happening is, is that there's this prophet named Elisha, and God tells the prophet Elisha where you're going. Elisha tells the king of Israel, and the king of Israel goes a different way. Well, the king of Aram is furious. Like, he flips out. And so he decides, he's like, fine, let's find this prophet Elisha, and let's go kill him. Now, does anybody see the flaw in that plan? Like, God's been telling Elisha where the king of Aram is going. I mean, hello, you really think you're going to be able to sneak up on him? I don't think so. I mean, look, king of Aram, clearly not the sharpest crayon in the box. So anyway, he finds out that um, Elisha is in a town called Dothan. So in the middle of the night, the entire army of Aram surrounds this, this town of Dothan. Now, there's no biblical text that says that God told Elisha, that the king of Aram was going to surround the town. But I think God did tell him, and here's why. Because when the, uh, ser- Elisha and his servant wake up the next morning, Elisha's servant goes to the window, sees the army surrounding the city, and has a wig fit. I mean, he freaks out. But Elisha, he doesn't even bat an eye. Like, he's like, no big deal. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even flinch. It's almost as if he's expecting it. So, let's read the story about what happens. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Go ahead and pull out your message notes. Here it is. It says, they went by night and surrounded the city. That's talking about the army of Aram. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what are we going to do? The servant asked calmly. (laughs) Verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow. So, what are the lessons that God has for us in this story? Well, here's the first lesson. Lesson number one is this, is that the spiritual is just as real as the physical. The spiritual is just as real as the physical. I mean, hey, are you getting this? I mean, Elisha, he literally, like, he could see the spiritual forces of what's going on. Because look, he says he could see horses and chariots, and we know that these were spiritual horses and spiritual chariots manned by, like, angelic warriors, because if they were real, his servant would have been able to see them initially. But he couldn't. And so we know what these things are. I mean, can you imagine being able to see that? Like, how cool would that have been? You know, I wonder, like, this is a little insight into, like, my brain. Um, I, I, I wonder, like, 
if we could somehow like put on some kind of like polarized glasses that would allow us to see into the spiritual realm, like what would we see? I mean, I, I wonder if, I wonder if on like on a Sunday morning, even in this room, like if we could see into the spiritual realm, I wonder how many dark shapes we would see that are trying to prevent people from understanding, that are trying to distract people by getting them to you know, check their email or check something on Facebook so that they don't hear clearly about God or about Jesus Christ. I, I, I wonder, and I wonder how many angelic beings that we would see that are trying to help people understand about Jesus and so that they could become free and they could become Christ followers themselves. I, and I, I wonder what we would see, you know, and what's really going on all around us on a, any given Sunday morning. You know, and, you know, we're just here like, like we're eating some donut holes. Like we're drinking coffee, like we're clapping. And all around us, there is this spiritual war going on that we can't see. But yet, it's real. Because God says it's real. And listen, look, what I'm describing is actually not very far off from what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. He says this. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look, see, God's telling you that all of this stuff that's going on in our world, behind it, there are spiritual forces at play. Like, you know, too often, like we just discount that. And so like, we blame our spouse, or we blame the kids, or you know, we blame how we were raised, or we blame stress at work, or we blame the Supreme Court, or we blame you know, the other political party, you know, whichever one that is for you. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that there are spiritual forces at play. Now, look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to do practical things to change our world, you know, like, like vote and, you know, work on marital conflict and, you know, help correct your kids. Like, we need to do that. But we need to understand that there's spiritual forces at work, and they are just as real as physical forces. The spiritual is just as real as the physical. But we just, we discount that. And as Christ followers, like, we got to take that into account. When something happens that's not going all that well. Look, and I'm not saying that you need to look for a demon under every rock, okay? I'm not saying, you know, that, you know, the, the devil, you know, made you put on 20 pounds because you eat too much ice cream, okay? Like, that's a choice you make all on your own, all right? Now, I do believe the devil is, you know, responsible for shutting down Bluebell. Like, I, th I do think that. <laughs> Because, hey, we all know Bluebell's Jesus' favorite ice cream, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but seriously, seriously. Um, but think about it. Think about it. There, there's, I promise you, there are spiritual forces at play when you have marital conflict. There are spiritual forces at play when your kids give you attitude or when you're tempted to lie, or when you get drawn into an addictive behavior, or when your heart just swells up with disgust or hatred towards someone else. I'm telling you, there's spiritual forces at play behind these scenes, because God, who can see perfectly into the spiritual realm at all times, says so. I'm telling you, 
The spiritual is just as real as the physical. Now, because that's true, there's a second really, really big lesson that we can get from this story. Lesson number two is this, is that I need to rely on the strength of Christ to not give in to my weaknesses. I need to rely on the strength of Christ to not give in to my weaknesses. Look what the Bible says in 2 Kings 6, 16. This is, we already read this verse. I just wanted to come back to it. Verse 16, it says this. It says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. That's Elisha. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So look, 900 years before Jesus Christ, Elisha is teaching about the reality of angels and demons, and he says that, look, there's no reason to fear because the forces of God are way bigger and way stronger than any opposing force, whether it's physical or spiritual. See, look, here's the the thing I think we forget. The devil is not God's equal opposite, okay? He's not. The devil and all of his demons, they're just merely fallen angels. God is in a league and in a class all by himself. There is nothing that compares to God. There is none that are like him. He alone is God. And so we don't have anything to fear. There's no fear. And so, look, fast forward to the New Testament era, and the Apostle Paul, he almost gives us the exact same language as Elisha with one key addition. Check it out. Look what he says in Colossians 2.15. It says this. It says, God stripped the spiritual powers, the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority with the cross. I want you to circle with the cross. With the cross, he won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. Look, don't miss this. It says, with the cross. With the cross, God says that he won a massive victory that day over the demonic forces, and they are truly powerless to stand up to him. You're like, okay, Pastor Mike, well, how did the cross strip the demonic forces of all their power? Well, let 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 me explain to you. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and it introduced sin into the world, look, and it doesn't matter to me if you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible and you're not even sure if Adam and Eve is a real story. That doesn't even matter to me at this stage of the game because the results are still the same. When sin entered the world, that sin separated us from God. And it separated us from God so that we could not have a relationship with God while we were here on this earth, and we could not go to heaven when we die. Sin separated us from God. And on that day, the devil won a huge victory, and he gained enormous amounts of power and influence over humanity and have been exercising it, you know, since that time. But then came the cross. Then came the cross. When Jesus died on a cross... His sacrifice provided forgiveness for everyone in the world. And when Jesus did that, when he removed that sin that had separated us from God, then we could now have a relationship with God while we're here on this earth, and we could go to heaven when we die. 
Now, that's what happens to us. But in the spiritual realm, when Jesus died on the cross and he forgave, provided forgiveness for sin, what that did was it completely disarmed the evil one and stripped him of all of his power. Because before the cross, the devil had held people slaves to their own sinful desires. But then the cross, with the cross, God stripped away that power and gave us the ability to follow him and say yes to him and not be slaves to our own sinful nature. Now, the, then, the, then the, the elephant in the room essentially is like, okay, well, if that's really true, then why do so many people still live with sinful habits present in their lives? Why, why do people who call themselves Christ followers still fall prey to things like greed, lust, rage, foul language, substance abuse, arrogance? I mean, and, and like uh, so many more things. Why does that still happen? Well, first off, here's the thing. If someone has never become a Christ follower, they do not have Christ's forgiveness and they do not have his strength to tap into. And so they will continually fall prey to those sinful desires. And so look, the very first step for anyone is that they have to take that step and ask Jesus Christ to come into their life to forgive them and commit to follow them. Because it's until you receive that forgiveness that you can finally say no to the evil one and whenever he tempts you. So that's the first step. And if you've never taken that step before, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life to forgive you, there's a, there's a prayer that you can do that. It's printed in the message notes. I want you to pray that prayer right now. It's, you, that's the first step. Now, if you've already taken that step and you are a Christ follower, well, then why are some of those people still slaves to sin? Because biblically speaking, like theologically speaking, you don't have to be a slave anymore. And so that means that those Christ followers have just simply handed over their freedom willingly, voluntarily to the evil one and given him control over their life. Theologically speaking, that's what's happened. Now look, now there's a sense in which giving up like sinful habits, it's a process. Very few people, when they become a Christian, like all of a sudden are instantly changed and like everything is 100% different. Like for most of us, it's a process. And then there's also, um, you have to take into account like if there's abuse in someone's background, that can like prolong that process and make it that much harder to change. But theologically speaking, the devil still has no authority over that person's life. And all the devil can do is figure out what our desires are and place a temptation out in front of us and tempt us to do what God doesn't want us to do. That's all he can do. Now here's the thing. The devil's really, really good at it. Like he's really good at it. He's been doing it for thousands of years. But we have the ability to say no. Think about it like this. Let's just say, pretend, that at an earlier point in your life, you were in prison, okay? And then one day, you were set free. And then after you're free, soon after, the prison guard who watched over you, who beat you, who was mean to you, who was cruel to you, that prison guard comes to you and finds you and says, hey man, We've been missing you down at the prison. Like, we'd like you to come back. Like, 
Remember all the fun you used to have out in the yard, like that 30 minutes a day? Like that was good times, wasn't it? I mean, all the guys still talk about you, you know, Snake Eyes, Scorpio, Mr. Biggs. Like, they all talk about you, how much they miss you. Like, they want you to come on back. And look, look, you, so just come on back. Look, you can still leave anytime you want to, but just come back, just for a day. And look, this, this newfound freedom that you have, like, you're probably not enjoying it near as much as you thought you would. And you want to know why? It's because the truth is, you're really not one of them. You're really one of us. That's who you really are. So come on back. Come back and be one of us. Now, would anybody really ever voluntarily go back to prison? No! But I'm telling you, people who are Christ followers do it all the time. And they do it because they fall prey to many of those same sorts of lines of thought. In fact, the only reason anybody would ever voluntarily go back to prison is if they were tricked into doing so, if they were deceived into doing so. And that is what the evil one does. But look, if you're a Christ follower, I'm telling you, it's time to get serious about staying out of prison. You've already been set free. Why would you ever voluntarily go back? So choose to say no to those things. I mean, I know it's hard, I know it's tough, I know it's difficult, but you can. So look, whatever that, whatever that sinful habit is for you, whatever that is, whether it's habitual lying or you know, overspending or holding a grudge, losing your temper, cursing, talking negatively about other people, you know, the irresponsibility of providing for your family, um, inattentiveness to your marriage, or any of the things that we've talked about today, look, it's time to put all that behind you. It's time to stop voluntarily going back to prison. It's time to let the victory that was won at the cross practically become a victory in your own life and to begin to say no to those sorts of temptations that previously held you down. Because Theologically, there's no reason why. Now look, I'm not saying you need to be perfect, okay? Everybody's gonna mess up, everybody's gonna stumble from time to time, but what I'm saying is, is that you truly have the ability to say no. You can, you can say no. But look, here's the thing, what you understand, there's a spiritual battle that's going on all around you all the time. And just because you can't see it, doesn't mean it's not there. It is, it's real, because God says it's real but you don't have to give in to it. You don't have to fall prey to it. You don't have to voluntarily go back to your former way of living. Look what this last verse says, check it out. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this story for us because the spiritual battles were just as real in Elisha's day as they are in ours. And I thank you, God, that you're in a class all by yourself. And when we rely on you and we put our faith in you and when we trust in you and we depend on you and we call on you for strength, it's more than what we need to overcome. And so I pray for those in this, that are listening today that have something in their life 
that they know they want to get rid of. A sinful habit, some, an addiction, something that's held them captive for a long time. God asked that today they would walk out of that prison cell and not go back. And that you provide the strength to do so. And for those that became Christ followers today for the very first time, that today they would start to know freedom and start to live a life that's free. And for all of us, God, continue to take us through that process of becoming more free and help us to walk in that freedom. I love you. And I ask that you would bring us back next week so we can hear more and understand more of how you want us to live. And I ask you to do this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.